Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hello, Crossing Church. How are you doing this morning? How are you doing this fine day? It is so good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. There's just nothing quite like it. And and if you're dealing with what I'm dealing with, this constant just... uh, flowing in of everything that wants to make you fearful and suspicious and all these other things that are coming in just constantly. It is so good to know that God is still on his throne, that he's still in charge. Nobody's taking him off his throne. And I need times like this to remind me of that. Isn't that right? All you locations all across this region, all of you that are watching from home, we need to be reminded that God's in control, that he loves us. You know, I still take my 292s. You remember those? I take them every day, 90 to Psalm 92, you know, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. I get up in the morning. I say, you know what? No matter what happens, God, you love me. I know that. I know that. That's your promise. That's your word. And your word is true. And at night, when we made it through the day and your faithfulness at night, that you've been faithful. Guess what, God? We made it through another day together. And that's a good thing. And you need to start and end every day with something similar to that, especially at times like these. So we're in the book of Jude. I mean, we're coming down to the conclusion of this series that we've had for 27 weeks called The Cure, which is basically the New Testament holds everything we need, not just to survive, but to thrive in the world that we're living in right now, no matter what the circumstances are. And I'm excited to be able to share his words with you today. Have you noticed that there's a conspiracy theory going around about just about everything. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, there's, there's conspiracy theories about literally everything. But the truth is, we've always had them. I mean, it isn't just something that's happening in the crazy year of 2020 or in the COVID environment. We've always had a, How many of you have heard about the moon landing being faked? Have you heard about that? Yeah. A lot of people actually believe there was actually no moon landing. It was completely faked. How many of you uh, have heard about flat earthers, that people actually believe the earth is flat? Wow. But there's people that believe that. How many of you heard that if you take the COVID vaccine, you'll turn into a zombie? Well, that was actually true. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. That's the zombie apocalypse via COVID-19. We just watched a little too much TV, a little too many movies, right? Or the Bermuda Triangle, that'll take you back. Or Area 51, you know there's aliens out there somewhere out in the Groom Lake area. Or the airline disasters, or the new Coke. You know the new Coke was actually a conspiracy theory. Or the Kennedy assassination, or MKUltra, or the 9-11 attack, or Jeffrey Epstein, or QAnon, or even the Chinese in COVID-19. Conspiracy theories surround us, but I want to tell you about a conspiracy that's no theory. I want to tell you that there's something that's going on deep down underneath that you can't see, that you don't even know, realize most of the time, but it doesn't change the fact that it is a fact. Jerry's given into a conspiracy theory, you bet. There's a a coordinated conspiracy against the church, And it's people. It's happening right now. It's coming from Satan. 
And he is always at work. He is always at work to destroy the church and the people of God. You know what he's trying to do? Destroy you. Trying to destroy your family. Trying to destroy your marriage. Trying to make you forget who and whose you are. Trying to paralyze you with fear. Happening right now. I love the song that we just sang. My fears are drowned in perfect love. Because he splits the sea and I walk right through it. Is that true for you right now? Or are you being overwhelmed by those fears? You know what? Satan can work in a lot of different ways. He can work through people. He can work through people. And there are people that can actually come into the church and they will disrupt or lead the church astray. Now, before you think about those people, how many of you have had Satan work through you before? Come on, honestly, because I've had him work through me. I've given in to those things. I've allowed him to, and maybe at the time I didn't realize it. Maybe I wasn't saying, hey, Satan, come and work through me. But nevertheless, the things that the devil wants to do, he has done through me and he's done through you. Well, this is what Jude is writing about. You know, Jude was Jesus's younger half-brother. Now we've already met one of his younger half-brothers. It was James, wrote the book of James. Well, Jude, also part of the family, probably younger than James, uh, also a leader in the church after Jesus had ascended into heaven. And he writes the book of Jude to warn us urgently about the kinds of things that can happen as Satan subverts the church, sometimes through people. It's only 25 verses long, doesn't even rate a chapter. It's like there's no Jude chapter one, it's just verses. But it packs a wallop, let me tell you, because he doesn't hold anything back. Now he confesses, and we'll read about it in a second, that he really just wanted to write about salvation. And by the way, he does write about salvation. He wanted to write about an upbeat topic, but the circumstances were changing because there were people that were infiltrating the body of Christ and turning it upside down, using it as a license for all kinds of things that were not of God, but of Satan. And so the alarm went out and he said, no, I can't just write about salvation. I've got to address this issue. And so there's a shift in what Jude was going to write about and what he eventually did write about. And I relate to that, you know. I'll tell you what, I had a great plan for 2020. In late 2019, I met with the elders and we had an absolutely incredible strategic planning retreat on what God was going to do, what we thought God was going to do in 2020 in all of our locations across this region. And throughout the world, man, I was so excited about it. Man, did those plans get changed. It's so easy, isn't it, to just get into your plan. Start out so well. Do you remember the Closed on Sunday series? It was so good. And then March 8th happened and COVID-19 happened. And just like me uh, and just like the crossing, all of your plans kind of went out the window as well, right? And then when you get into that mode, you're wondering, well, wait a minute. 
This is not how I planned at all. This is not what was supposed to happen at all. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we want to make our plans and we want God's seal of approval on our plans rather than just living in God's plans? Maybe part of this experience is to help us to live in the plans of God rather than our own plans. And, and I'll tell you why that's really important. Jude writes about it, that there is a battle going on, a battle to fight, and that battle that we fight are against forces that we can't see and they're hard to defeat. Because we're talking about the devil, right? And so even though he's talking about how this is happening and it's coming into the church, he wants us to realize the truth, to not give in to the lies. And so he begins by using terms that I think we all need to hear today, and that is once and for all. In Jude verse 3, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He wants us to contend for the faith. He wants us to recognize the reality that's around us and respond to it with the grace and the power of God. But I love how he makes that point by saying once and for all, because the New Testament reveals God's final word on salvation. See, there were people that were rising up then, and there's people that rise up now to try to deliver something new, to change that message. And what Jude is saying is hold fast, to the message that you were given by the apostles. And you know, we have to hold fast to those 2,000-year-old truths that have been carefully kept by God for us all. Here's the specific warning. It's in Jude verse 4. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now, those are strong words, but again, it's nothing new. Jesus warned us about this. Before Jude, Jesus actually gave us a parable, delivered a parable about the fact that this would happen even in our midst. And it's called the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the word tares is just an archaic word for weeds. So it could be titled the wheat and the weeds. It comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Let's read the word of the Lord together. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, you didn't sow, didn't you sow good seed into your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, 
you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Now, if I take that parable and I connect it to what the Apostle Paul wrote to us in Ephesians 6, it really helps me to understand how to approach this issue. In Ephesians 6, he said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers, spiritual forces of wickedness in spiritual realms. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. And let me tell you something about the power of God. Maybe a power that you've experienced yourself. Maybe a power that you've experienced in your family. You know what it is? God has the power to turn weeds into wheat. Maybe he doesn't pull up all the weeds because he knows that he can work some miraculous power to change that weed into wheat. Listen, I know a God who turns water into wine. If he can turn water into wine, he can turn weeds into wheat. He really can. He can do this. Now, he describes those weeds in Jude 8. It says, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. Now, that's some language that maybe if we were there, we would understand better, but 2,000 years of distance makes it a little bit more difficult. Let's just try to understand it, okay? First thing he's talking about is defiling the flesh. They defile the flesh. He goes on to talk about love feasts and how they do this in the context of basically church pitch-in dinners. Of course, church pitch-in dinners during the time of Jude were a lot more necessary because there were people who were starving to death because of their uh, desire to follow the Lord Jesus. And so these people depended on these uh, get-togethers where people shared their meals so that they could eat and their children could eat. But here he's saying that they take the opportunity of these love feasts and they turn it into what uh, Jude uses as an illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah. So when he says defile themselves, they're talking, he's talking about sexual sin. They're actually wanting to tell you that whatever you do in your body has no effect on your spirituality. There was a teaching at that time that said whatever you did physically had no bearing on what you did spiritually. There's people that actually live that way today. That hasn't changed. And let me tell you something about what Satan can and can't do, okay? Satan likes you to think he's either less powerful or more powerful than he is. In this case, you need to understand that Satan, he's not like God. He can't create anything. He doesn't have the power of creation. What he can do is pervert it. What he can do is perverted. When God created sexuality, it is a beautiful thing, incredibly wonderful, life-giving thing. But something that powerful can actually be perverted. The word to pervert means to twist or to bend or to misshape something. That's what the devil does. He takes something that God intended for good or great and turns it into something ugly and awful, away from its proper use. And so Jude calls that out. That was happening in the church. 
People were bringing that kind of teaching into the church. He also talks about the rejection of godly authority. You know, the authorities have been established by God. It's really not up for us to come against those authorities. We have trouble with authority. I've preached on that. And for the illustration here, he talks about Cain. And Cain was the brother of Abel. And you may remember this from early Genesis, that it was the first murder. Cain killed his brother Abel because Abel offered a sacrifice to God that God accepted, and he rejected Cain's. And pride overwhelmed Cain to the point that he murdered him on the inside and then lived it out on the outside. And then he talks about Balaam. Balaam was a prophet in Israel that could be bought for money. <laughs> and then he talks about Korah, who tried to start a rebellion against Moses. And he uses those three illustrations to remind us of the three cardinal sins. Whether we're talking about pride, using Cain, the lust of the eyes, or money, using Balaam and the lust of the flesh, or let's go back to Egypt and eat the food that they had because we're going to starve out here in the wilderness with Korah. Third thing that he mentions about these false teachers that come into the church is they revile angels. That means they're talking about things they know nothing about. You realize, don't you, that there's an entire civilization of people that are not human in nature that God created. You can't see them unless God chooses you for you to see them, but that doesn't make them any less real. And they're angels. And you might say, well, that's angels and demons, right, Jerry? And I'd say, well, no, there's just angels and fallen angels because that's what demons are. And let me tell you something, that's way above my pay grade. It's way above yours too. And Jude's saying, you don't have any business talking about things you don't understand. He makes no bones about how he views these kinds of false teachers. Let's read it together. It's in verse 12, 13, and 16. He says, they're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. In verse 16, he says, These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. Well, that can happen. It can happen when we don't know the truth, we're ignorant of the truth, or we're not living by the truth. You know, we're not connecting that to the way that we live. And the way that we counteract a thing like that is we need a movement of God. Or maybe even more, we need a movement of people following after God. Before we put all of the pressure on God's shoulders, maybe we need to say, Lord, I'm available. Start a movement with me. Start a movement in my marriage. Start a movement in my family. Start a movement with my friends. Start a movement in my neighborhood. Start a movement in my community. That's what we need. It's a movement of God that comes through his people. But how do we do that? How do we build a counter movement 
when this kind of stuff is happening all around us, just like it was happening for Jude. Well, first of all, we need to be built up. That's what he says in Jude 20, verse A. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, we need to build ourselves up in our faith. How do you do that? Well, you spend time in God's word. That's what you do. But here, check this out. God doesn't care how much you know if you're not putting it into practice. I heard John Maxwell one time say, the people of God are educated well beyond their level of obedience. <laughs> it's true. Are you actually willing to live out what you learn in God's word and seek to do it consistently? We need to be people of the word and then we need to act on what we have learned. Second thing that Jude points out, it's in verse 20. The second half, we need to pray in the Spirit. He says, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, when we hear that pray in the Spirit, some of us in our minds uh, are maybe are going to some kind of metaphysical, super spiritual kind of thing. It's really not that hard. To pray in the Spirit means that you are praying for what the Spirit wants instead of what you want. That you're not putting an agenda before God like I did with 2020 and say, hey, Lord, can you put your stamp of approval on this? I, I just need your agreement to get this done. When God's saying, you know what? We're going to do something other than that. And I need to be willing to listen to that. Praying in the Spirit means that you're agreeing with the Holy Spirit, not trying to get the Holy Spirit to agree with you. You hear what I'm saying? So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit means I want to walk the way you want me to walk. Listen, the Holy Spirit never makes a single mistake. He doesn't ever think anything wrong. He never gets corrected because he's never wrong. So listen, if I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm making the right decisions. If I'm trying to make the Spirit walk in my will, it's mostly going to be wrong decisions. I need to pray in the Spirit. It's all about alignment with him and focus on him. Number three, I need to live in the love of God. Let me ask you a question. Are you living in the love of God? Well, in 1 John, and Clayton did such a great job last week of talking us through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. In the book of 1 John, it actually defines God in two ways. It's the only place in the Bible where God is defined. God is light, it says, and in him is no darkness at all, and God is is love. A person who doesn't love their brother doesn't know God because God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, right? So, to live in the love of God means to live in the light of God. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're living in a great place when we live in the light or we walk in the light. Now, right now I'm up on this stage at 48th Street and, you know, the tech people have cleverly put a nice pool of light that I can walk around in, but I can see my boundaries right now. I can see my boundaries around me in this pool of light. So I can do this. Like I can walk over here and I'm just kind of walking over here. And guess what's happening right now online and at all of our locations? I just disappeared. Where'd he go? Tech people are going, get back in the light. Okay, now they can all see me again. Because that's what those cameras are sensitive to, right? I'm doing it over here right now. Would you stop it, Jerry? Quit messing things up. 
Huh. Let me tell you how we like to live. Right here. I got one foot in and I got one foot out. This is my Sunday foot. This is my Sunday leg. This is my Monday through Saturday leg. This is how I live around believers. This is how I live the rest of the time. I'm not so far out of the light that I can't just do this. That's not where God wants us to live. He wants us to live right here in the light. How are we ever going to do a movement of God unless we're willing to live in the light? Are we doing that right now? Okay. Put your seatbelt on. Cinch it up. I have a friend who just wrote an article for me for Christian Standard. He called it the separation of church and hate. You know what it's about? Politics. Hello, anybody dealing with politics right now? Any politics going on anywhere? Anybody got any attitude about politics? Anybody wondering about politics? You know what? We've got two filters, don't we? We've got more than two, but we definitely have two. And, and we have one that I'm going to call my Jesus filter, and I got one that's called my political filter. And here's the question. Which one's informing the other? I've seen a lot of people lose their faith in Jesus over their politics. That's backwards, people. You don't let your political filter determine your Jesus filter. Let me tell you which one's on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. And you need to live like Jesus wants you to live, regardless of who ends up being in charge of government. You need to live for Jesus. I need to, my Jesus filter needs to take precedent over my political filter. If you want to start a movement, Live for Jesus. Number four, we need to wait on the mercy of God. Wait on the mercy of God. You know who does all the waiting <laughs> in my life? God does all the waiting on me. He's the one that has to be patient with me. In, in 21b, Jude says, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. It requires a lot of patience and a lot of long-suffering. God has a lot of patience for me and a lot of long-suffering for me. How about you? Has he got a lot of that for you? I need it. I need it every single day. But you know what? I'd rather be a reservoir than a river. You know what I mean by that? I mean, I want all that mercy and all that <laughs> patience to come to me, but I don't necessarily want it to flow out of me to other people. I'd rather be a reservoir than a river, but God wants us to be a river. If we've received that patience and mercy, he wants us to give it to others. Sometimes that's hard to do, isn't it? If I have those four things in place that I just mentioned, then I am fully equipped to do three amazing things. You ready for what they are? Jude 22, 23, be merciful to those who doubt. That's number one. Save others by snatching them from the fire. That's number two. And to others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corruptive, corrupted flesh. Three things I can do if I'm a movement maker. I'm letting that movement happen in me. Number one, I'm convincing doubters. You know what a doubter is? It's an agnostic. An agnostic is a person who really isn't sure what they truly believe. But whatever faith they do have, they want it to fit into their own image of it. 
They kind of want to create a faith that exists in their image. And you know what God wants, what Jesus wants? He wants us to give, us, give up all of our rights and just pick up our responsibility. He wants us to say, if God said it, that's enough. How many of you ever heard, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it? How many of you ever heard that before? Let me tell you, that's wrong. If you got a bumper sticker like that, just take it off. Because here's the truth. God said it, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. I don't have to believe it to make it true right? I'm not agnostic. I'm giving that up. Second thing he says, you can snatch people from the fire. That's exciting to me. Snatching people from the fire. You know, these are people that are heading for the edge of the cliff at full speed, and you can boldly save them from a seemingly inevitable fate. What an exciting thing to do. Number three, it's to show mercy mixed with fear. Well, we've got fear down, don't we? Oh my, we're so afraid. We're afraid of everything. We're more afraid in 2020 than we've ever been afraid. But you know what? We're all afraid of stuff that doesn't even hold a candle to God. Remember who we're talking about. We're afraid of everything else. We are, our fear is in the wrong place. And our fear doesn't need to be like, I'm scared of God. It needs to be, I have a healthy respect for God. You see, showing mercy mixed with fear means I want to start a movement that truly takes my faith seriously, connecting my actions with my beliefs. Now, you might say after that, if you're generous, you'll say, Jerry, that was a good sermon. I really appreciate it. But you will have undoubtedly failed what I've just preached about, because I know I have. I completely miss it. Oh, I know I need to do those four things, and then I could have these three responses, and boy, wouldn't that be great. But the fact is, I goof this up all the time. I can't tell you how many times I have failed at this. Even as a pastor, I have completely failed at this. I can go back as far as I want to go back in my ministry, and I have failed at this. I was getting ready for this sermon. I started thinking about that. I was just thinking about when, what story am I willing to tell about my failures, you know? And I thought, didn't think long, and I thought of a girl named Alice Fishbaugh. Alice Fishbaugh, she was 18. I was a youth minister in Virginia. Had about 100 kids in my youth group. And one day, Alice Fishbaugh walks into our room. And I, it was fun to watch because all these kids, they weren't talking to her. They were talking to their friends about her. Like, oh, look who just walked in. See, Alice Fishball had a reputation. And I wanted to know what they were talking about. So I got involved in the conversation. And it turns out that Alice had about every possible thing bad that could happen to you had happened to her. Whether you're talking about physical abuse or sexual abuse or abandonment or loss, or homelessness, or you pick it. Drug abuse, everything. It had happened to her. It was amazing after hearing her story that she was even alive. That I was actually looking at a person who was still breathing. And you know what? My heart went out to her. And I wanted that heart for her to be reflected among my youth group. And so, I mean, we took her under our wing like you would not believe. And I'm going to tell you what we did. 
One of the things that Alice liked to carry with her was a notebook. And in that notebook, she would draw things. And I'll tell you what, it's some of the darkest pictures you ever saw. But she could flat draw. I mean, she had a gift for art. It was just going in the wrong way, right? And so we started to talk to her and she got excited about the Lord. And I said, Alice, I want you to go to community college. She had graduated high school. She didn't have any future lined out. You know, they, they have graphic design at community college. We got her enrolled in community college, but she didn't have a way to get there. So we took up an offering in the youth group and we bought her a red scooter. Brand new red scooter. I remember when we gave her the red scooter, she was so excited. Of course, she couldn't drive it. She didn't have a license. And so then we tutored her and helped her get a license for that red scooter. She was tooling around on that red scooter and going to community college, but she didn't have a place to live. She was homeless. And so we found an apartment over a a double garage. And I brought that whole youth group up and we completely redid it and painted it and furnished it. And it was awesome. She had an apartment. She loved animals. We bought her a cat. I mean, she had it all. She put, we put it all together. It was great. And it lasted about a month and a half. About a month and a half. Wasn't long before she wasn't going to class anymore. Then she wrecked her scooter and got her license suspended because she was drinking. And she had guys up in her apartment. And we went up to her apartment. It was trash. And she'd given away her cat because she wasn't even taking care of that. And last I heard about Alice Fishbaugh, she was walking down the street in nearby town, taking 55-gallon drums, trash cans, and throwing them through plate glass windows before she was arrested and incarcerated. And I got mad at God. I got mad at her and I got mad at God. How much have you got to do? How much, how much love do you have to show? How much How much are you willing to invest in a person and say, okay, God, now it's up to you. Look, we created this environment now. Come on, God, you know, turn that heart around, turn that life around, then boom. It's like, does this even work? Does this even matter? I gave up on her. I didn't talk about her anymore. Youth group went on. Eventually, I went from youth ministry to senior ministry, moved to Indiana. Wasn't for a long time maybe 10 years before I got a call from someone who used to be in that youth group and I got the nerve to say, you hear anything about Alice Fishbaugh? (laughs) And they go, you'll never believe it. That girl is on fire for Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. Hold on before you applaud. I only had one chance in me This is what God showed me. I only had one chance in me. And it was a big one, but once you failed that chance, then I was done with you. Let me tell you something about God and you. He has more than one chance for you. Some of you are sitting here at this place or one of our locations right now because God had more than one chance. Maybe he had more than two. Maybe he had 72. You know what I'm saying? It's because God is rich in mercy and he's rich in patience. And I was getting ready for this sermon. I was thinking about Alice and I decided to get on Facebook and creep her. And I saw her picture 
And, you know, one of them, she's got flaming red hair, you know, and one of them, she's got flaming purple hair, and she's got a neck tattoo about that big. <laughs> and this is what it says in her bio. I love Jesus first and foremost. That is my passion. My life was severely twisted up, amen, before I accepted him. Now I can really live. I love all creatures, great and small. My two parrots, Lucy and Bandit, are a trip. I'm an artist, and I soon hope to tattoo up some people and maybe help them heal through those tattoos. I've been lots of places, seen lots of things. I love beautiful things my Abba Father has created. Pretty laid back, peace. She now, listen, you know what she does now? She illustrates Christian books. I can't do that. I can't change. Neither can you. You can't change a person like that. I can't change a person like that. We can't change a person like that. But God can. God can change people like that. He can. When we give up on people, he doesn't give up on people because he can change people. And when he does, he changes them for good. And Jude finishes up his letter in verse 24 and 25, saying to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So let it be. Almighty God, we're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.